0: Again, the doors close at four o'clock Pacific today. You can sign up at kathyhaar.com slash join. I cannot wait to spend 12 weeks with you and watch you become a master at manifesting the most gorgeous experiences and opportunities and abundance into your life. Thanks to American Giant for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. As we all navigate through our new normal, we need to come together and support our communities. American Giant has built a 100% USA-based supply chain with relationships with factory workers and communities. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code DREAMJOB at American-Giant.com. Also thanks to KiwiCo. KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on projects for kids to make learning about STEAM fun. Designed by experts and tested by kids. Get your first month free on selected crates at KiwiCo.com DreamJob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So yesterday I posted on Instagram a quote by Liz Gilbert and it says, the opposite of a hot mess is cold, predictable, and tidy. And that's not where your magic lives. Be brave and choose the mess. Can I get a heck yes? Because you guys, it's so true. Yesterday, Christy Wright a good friend of mine came in to be a guest speaker in our arrive community and you're going to hear that episode because we recorded part of it and we're going to put it out on Monday's episode it was such fire and she said often the things that turn out to be the most impressive start out rather unimpressive you know you post the blog you do your first podcast you offer to cut someone's hair you make your first pie confidence is a muscle that is built over time and clarity follows action And the more you allow yourself to be fully in the creative experimental process, you're going to be led to magical things and things will unfold exactly as they should. So I want you to be willing to step into the unknown and you're going to find more alignment there than ever. And you know, it's interesting, like there are moments when you connect to the divine within you, when you connect to the source of energy, that still very clear place that is within each of us. And it's this very familiar, unfamiliar feeling. It's like the most unfamiliar, familiar feeling. And that really is who we all are. And it's in that place that we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we can just feel that there's something guiding us, that there's an expansion. And and it's amazing. It's like the cost of admission to having the life you want is just the courage to see a possibility in the field of possibilities before you actually can experience it with your senses and just to trust and walk toward it. So yes, yes, yes. And by the way, if you want to join us to be part of our Arrive community, it is such fire in there. And my made to do this program is closed for enrollment until 2021, but the arrive community is alive and well. And it is so fierce. And we have all these guest experts coming in. We do these like live sessions. The community gets a chance to ask their questions. I come in once a month and do a Q and A. We do workbooks every month where we like work together as a community to actually set goals and make things happen and build momentum in our businesses. So you can find out more about that at Kathyheller.com slash arrive community. Um, we have another few amazing guests coming on. The next one is Sherry Salata, who um, was executive producer of Oprah and president of Harpo, president of OWN. She's amazing. Come join us. You can do it month by month if you want, but I'd love to see you in there. I also have something super fun to share with you. Do you want a chance to win a hot seat with me? Do you want me to coach you? We are now going to be doing a call-in coaching with Kathy. Yes, we are. So if you want to be eligible for this, you just have to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. You just click on five stars, leave us a review, and you're going to fill out an application that is waiting for you at kathyheller.com slash call-in. And you'll let me know, like, what are you struggling with? What do you want to know? And then if you want to be on it, once a month I'm going to start talking to you guys and answering whatever I can to the best of my ability to give you direction, to give you courage, to give you permission, and to help you get clarity around your idea. So if you want to be a part of it, awesome. Go to kathyheller.com slash call in. And all you got to do to be eligible is just let us know that you're listening to the show. So subscribe to the podcast leave a review for the podcast. And then if you already did that, then you're good to go and go ahead and post about the podcast in your Instagram and tag me and then fill out that application at kathyheller.com slash Let me know what you're struggling with and I'll talk to you live and then we'll put it out there for the world to hear. So come on over and check that out. All right. Now let's talk about today's guest. Miles Adcox is here. He's the owner and the CEO of Onsite, which I've mentioned many, many times before. It's an internationally known emotional wellness lifestyle brand that delivers life-changing personal growth workshops, inspiring content, leadership retreats, and just full-on emotional healing. I went there last year, and I'm not exaggerating when I say it was one of the biggest eye-opening experiences of my life. They're not sponsoring this episode. They're not paying me to say this. I just... I really had such a breakthrough there, like a million breakthroughs, but I truly feel like I left so much on the campus of Onsite and came back home to myself in such a enormous way. And I wanted to have Miles on because I wanted him to share his wisdom and just tell you more about his work. Miles is a speaker, a podcast host, a business leader. He's also a coach. He's worked with Oprah Magazine, Brene Brown, TEDx. He's been featured on 2020, Good Morning America, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Dr. Phil Show. And we recorded this right before COVID hit, so we didn't get a chance to talk about how he's now pivoted the business, but they do have a new project to share. So stay tuned because I'm going to tell you more about that after the interview. I feel so blessed that we can share this conversation with you because he's such a pure, good-hearted, humble soul. Without further ado, please welcome the amazing Miles Adcox. Miles Adcox, thank you so much for making the time to be here. You have, you've really changed my life and impacted me in such a magnificent way. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So let's get into this. I'm so curious to know where all of this is born. So before OnSite, right, before any of the things you're doing now, where does this start? Take us back.
1: Well, I was fortunate to grow up in a, a really well-intended beautiful but messy system where, as, as I now describe, that's most families, but <laughs> some messier than others. And But ours didn't do uh, emotion that well. We were kind of on the uh, falling towards the emotionally illiterate side of the scale. I and mean, we just didn't know how to express feelings or intimacy or connection in that way. So I think at the earliest imprint I can remember, I began to look externally for validation And so I I believe that initial imprint probably began to set me up all these years later with all this work to support people in trying to do inner work. Yeah. And from that, I think I did become very empathetic towards the world, maybe even earlier than I knew what empathy was. And it started for me, I grew up on a farm, a little small town in Tennessee, and I just fell in love with four-legged anythings and I'm still there. So I love animals of all kinds. And they were kind of the first I feel that I had a deep sense of connection with. And then my story goes on from there to where I had early imprints, but then I did a human thing, which was the more I tried to become what the world wanted me to be, the less I knew who I was. And so I lost my compass and I became what everybody else wanted me to be, which surprisingly is a pretty successful way to do life. That's the way a lot of people do life. And life can actually validate, I think, and give you a lot of ribbons and awards and acknowledgments and accomplishments. So I was popular in school. I was successful in athletics and other things and got all the external validation anybody could ever want. But inside, I was slowly starting to die. And it wasn't until my early, uh, late teens, early 20s that uh, it all kind of caught up and all the emotion that I had compounded over the years kind of ran its course and I look back now to what then was one of the more painful parts of my story. I remember thinking that when I was somewhat at an emotional bottom, I thought, I don't know that life could get much worse than this. And as it goes, I think that moment, which I used to define as one of the worst, I would now define as one of the best because Mm -hmm. it ultimately what opened me up and shifted the paradigm to get into my own emotional recovery and get into that journey, which changed my profession and led me into what we're doing now. So, when I woke up to this new language, a new context, and begin to feel and begin to get connected, I was on fire about it. It's the only way I can describe. It changed me. But I thought, why should this only be reserved for people lucky enough to have kind of a painful point in their life and have the right people come around them and the right resources to get support? Yeah, this should be packaged, communicated, and delivered to everybody. So oh, that's of kind of what I've got obsessed with at that time. And, got me started in my my career.
0: First of all, it's so beautiful that you were so generous Mm -hmm. to share your own pain point. Because of course, we want to give to people what it is that we need. And also, we can only help someone out of a well if we've been down there. You you can only get someone home if you know their address, right? And one thing that really was shocking but beautiful about OnSite is that everybody's in pain. Like, it doesn't mean you have to have a capital T trauma. Those little T traumas, there was so much in there. And I was looking around going, oh my God. It's like you you think to yourself, oh, well, you know, me and my neighbor down the street, you know, we've had it pretty good. What are we complaining about? Why do I feel sad all the time? What's wrong with me? You know, it's like, well, there's an eight-year-old uh, inside of you who maybe uh, had some things that you have to sit with and, and you don't even know how to, how to deal with that. And it was just amazing how everyone walks in this room the first night of on-site. Everyone looks cool. It's a pretty d- cool population of humans that come and one by one, boom, it's like dominoes falling. Like everyone just surrenders and says, oh yeah, I guess this is some hurt that I really didn't realize how much I needed to make space for. It's amazing. For those people who don't know, tell me what on-site is and what it is that you want it to do. When somebody goes through that experience, what are you hoping they get when they come out on the other side?
1: I would describe it as, as just an emotional health retreat center. If I really strip it back, I, I kind of see it as human school in a way. It teaches us to be more humane to ourselves and other people, which I think we take for granted that we just know how to do that. And I think in a way we've accomplished a lot. And in other ways, I think we're just getting started with how I'm hoping to impact culture. I never really got involved to create a world-class emotional health or mental health service. That felt like a byproduct of, and we've been fortunate to carve out some brand equity that would support that, but that's just a byproduct. That's not the end goal. It's I've always believed that we could, if we could collectively improve the emotional health of individuals in our culture, and we can change our culture. And I believe we've had a lot of other efforts or interventions to try to help our society and culture through the lens of education, which is the most traditional one, uh, through the lens of faith and religion and spirituality, which is another traditional one, through the lens of the business community, all of which are valiant efforts. And I'm excited for them. But right now, the problem is way outpacing the solution. We're the most disconnected cohort in American history. All the statistics around suicide, anxiety, depression, loneliness are off the charts, despite all of our best efforts. And so I've long thought that psychology or emotional health, the information that we sit on, has way bigger implications than the narrow box in which we put it in. I think if we can depathologize it, shift the language a little bit, neutralize it, find outlets to make it more digestible – which it's organically happening with people, you know, leaders like you and and others who are just being brave enough to talk about their stories through their platforms. I'm starting to see the paradigm shift, but I really think onsite, I've always wanted it. We want to change lives through enhancing emotional health. And now, of course we're one offering and there's a whole lot of offerings out there. And uh, so not everybody can, can come sit around our table, but we've been supportive intentionally around certain communities, creatives People in, that choose public service, politics, business leaders, different people who I feel if we can support them in getting a little more grounded in who mm-hmm. they are and getting healthier, then they'll go back and mm-hmm. do their own influence yeah. just by being a better version of themselves. So that's kind of the whole idea is that if we have emotionally intelligent, self-aware, empathetic people at the tables where problems get solved in our world, uh, again, politics, education, business, on and on and on, then I think we've got a good chance of leaving the world better than we found it. And that's my hope for onsite.
0: It's just exquisite. The last day at onsite, and you know this, but not my my audience doesn't know. There's this ceremony where we all just walk out on the earth, and the the land there is so gorgeous. And then this guy comes over the hill with these bagpipes, and Bill gives you this little two minute introduction to just take a deep breath. And what are you gonna leave there that you don't need it? And he's like, let the ground. This ground is so holy, the amount of tears, the ima- you can leave it here. And then the bagpipes come and you feel like there's like this incredible letting go um, and release of these things that you don't have to carry anymore. You know, you don't you just don't have to carry all this stuff on your own. It was so unbelievably amazing.
1: I'm just so glad that you noticed and acknowledged some of the, what we used to consider ancillary components to the programming, but now they've be, kind of become more of the main stage. It's the healing, hospitality, and some of the other things that we've built in and facilitate end up being some of the things people remember the most versus our kind of core curriculum and in, in, in small group experience. But that, it took me back when you were describing uh, that, that we initially, I had, Braveheart was one of my favorite movies. It's one of Bill's favorite movies, too. And there's just so many great metaphors in that movie. But the pipes, which are normally used in ceremony, we can't remember the timeline. I want to think it was about 10 or 12 years ago. It was the first time we'd ever had all of our therapists from all over the country fly in. And we hosted and did for them what we do for our guests for three or four days and just poured into them. And I wanted to try out some different experiences that they'd never seen or have been exposed to and drew that one out on a napkin the very first time about, I wonder if we could take and build a <laughs> labyrinth and we could tie in some theatrical components that would kind of just take people into their story where you don't have to use a lot of words, but you could just come up. And sure enough, I built that labyrinth by hand, me and a buddy, and it took three months. It was a oh big Oh, my God. And, and you build.
0: built it by hand.
1: Yeah. So this is yeah. what I mean.
0: Like, you don't need to be on the ground building something, but that <laughs> you can. And I'm telling you, you talk about ancillary components, every stitch of that experience, the women and men who work in the kitchen, I wanted to hug every one of them. And then talk about hospitality. You guys listen to me. You guys know I like nice things. I was like, whatever this cabin is, this is what I want my house to be. And then you have literally the kindest people where like, I felt for the first time in my life, you could be any religion, any gender come from any zip code. You are welcome here mm. in the deepest way. There was no agenda other than please come sit and you get a other human to witness you and love you and guide you back home. That is all we want for you. That's it. In fact, on top of that, let me just add, I've been to other cool things where at the end, then there's an upsell. I'm like, where's the upsell here? I'm like, what's the follow-up going to be here? Where's the business piece of this? (laughs) Nope, nothing. In fact, even with me, I walked up to Miles at the last day and I said, you know, I have a podcast. I'd love to have you on. And you said, sure. It was like, whatever works for you. And then you even said, why don't you just go back and see how this integrates? And then if you feel it, sure, give me a call. I'm like, wow. (laughs) Like this guy, he does not need anything back. He so wants me to just have that. That's so unique. Please understand how unique that is. I'm sure you do. Wow. I want to ask you, because this show is called Don't Keep Your Day Job. It's about finding your purpose in this world, right? And so it's all about really getting over all of the shame and the self-doubt that tells us I'm not enough and all the lies, right, that we we carry around. What do you tell a person who says, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like there's room
1: for me. Well, I would probably start by not telling them anything right away, but just wanting to understand more. So it would probably just, you know, probably do. And I, I know this sounds typical therapist answer, but it's I think it should be more of a human answer. But just say more about that. You know, just tell me more. I wouldn't ask a question. Uh, I think questions when people are asking big questions and seeking guidance or direction or hopefully advice on something that is such a and that's such a big question that somebody would ask. Then I think a question often implies that there's an answer. And when I know the part of their brain when they're in, when they're asking that question, and if you're implying that there's an answer, that implies that it's either right or it's wrong. And you know that that question, there's not necessarily a right or a wrong, there's a middle part that we need to move through first. So I would try to turn whatever question my mind would come up with in the moment, I try to turn it into a statement because I think statements give people more permission to process that further. That's so fun. my My idea would be say more about that, or I'm really curious about that. And I am, I'm genuinely curious about that. And then hopefully it's just a little permission slip for them to talk a little bit more about it. And I'd probably see where we go from there.
0: That is so powerful. I'm going to definitely steal that. That's so, so good. I've heard you say, and I might paraphrase it, but the gist of what I've heard you say is how powerful is it? If you could just give another person like three minutes even just to talk and not to judge, not to have a question, just like I'm going to sit. I won't even mention it again. I just want to hear and how much people can get out of that. Here's my question for you. Having met so many souls who come to onsite, who come through the work you're doing and, and do open up, what do you find is one of the through lines that causes a person not to feel like they're enough? What is one of those things that maybe we can look to see if we could be aware of that might be one of the reasons? Because I learned so much about this at OnSite.
1: My theory around it would be there's a lost art of kinship in our communities, in our culture, to where sociology kind of answers this question better than psychology, but if you back up to a time where we used to live in packs of like 25. And then you watch kind of humanity evolve over time and into different phases from living like that into moving into more tribal uh, years. But then in the pre-depression era, right around the depression, there was never the nuclear family. It was always 5, 10, 15, 20 people living together because you kind of had to. And so therefore, when someone didn't see your worth or be able to mirror or validate who you're then you had other people that could step in and do that. So if you had a a dad that had his own trauma story and he wasn't available or he was an alcoholic, then you had an aunt or an uncle living with you that could step in. And community and kinship could be supported and backed up. Then when we got into the 50s, that's where the nuclear family started, which is two parents, two kids. That's the norm. And anything but that is abnormal. So let's build fences and walls around that and let's isolate around that. And that becomes the new norm. I think we're still paying the cost of that all these years later. Now, I do think one thing we got right in the 50s is that I value privacy. I think we can still do privacy and autonomy, but I believe we're really missing a good dose of healthy community. I was just up in Northern California uh, at San Quentin. And uh, Bob, who you mentioned earlier, he yeah. he and I were together and some other friends, and he and I teach a class up there. And there was it started out with an inmate who did – he was his name was Money, and he was incredible. He was a spoken word artist, and he did a he did a spoken word piece called "Talk and Listen." And I wish I could remember and mm. write it down right or do it. Just that he would basically say "talk" and "listen," and he had this little beautiful pause, and then he started filling it in with this poetic. Just he took you on a journey. But ultimately, what he said was he he was never heard ever, and therefore he just didn't know who he was. it didn't know his worth. didn't know his truth. So after he finished, I was just in awe because it was so beautiful. But then we pivoted from what we were going to teach and I moved them right into a listening exercise because I realized it's not that I need to train these men to be good listeners, which is something that you can learn. It's more I want them to have the experience of being heard. And that's part of the benefit of teaching listening is it takes two people. One's a talker, one's a listener, and you can teach people the art and the science of really listening and therefore the person who's talking gets the benefit of in many of their cases i found out the very first time some of these men who were had served 25 30 years had ever been heard in their life and as you can imagine it provoked some emotion for some of them and it was just beautiful but then on the back end of being heard it was like okay since you've never really been heard and now you have what does it feel like you might want to say that you've never said And oh my goodness, some of the stuff we circled up after that, that these brave men leaned into uh, Mm -hmm. and shared, it was the first time they'd ever shared it.
0: It's so beautiful. And the amount of belonging that happens, you know, like I was nervous because I didn't know anybody. I was going to fly to Nashville, take a Uber 45 minutes out. I don't know anyone who's going to be there. And I thought about bringing someone I know, or I'm going to be there without my phone or going to take my phone. I don't know anyone that made me feel so anxious. And now I would say to people, oh, don't go with a friend because you're going to have 70 friends by like the third hour.
1: I do believe that we do curate community well, empathetic, supportive community. And the idea is one of the reasons we don't want to get you over attached to our model. I've seen so many personal growth initiatives or change initiatives where they don't think they mean to, but they get you over attached and dependent to their model. And therefore, it's like you can't really go forward and implement this and therefore you better come back here as much as you can is I hope people come back, not because they need to, but because they feel they deserve to, that should be the invitation. But I do hope that people walk away having experienced an imprint of what true community could look like and then go begin to mobilize that and put it into their living rooms, their parenting, their businesses, their boardrooms, their education. That's your churches. That's the goal is that we, Create more kinship and more community, kind of one person at a time. That's the through line. It's what I hope everybody takes away. I hope in a sense that I work ourselves out of a profession one day. I would be thrilled if at the end of my time, my legacy was that there's not a need for onsite anymore because we're doing that naturally in our
0: communities. I love this conversation, but before we keep going, let's just thank our sponsor. Now more than ever, we need to come together and support our communities, the men and women making stuff in our country. And it's crazy to think that in 1960, 95% of all clothing was made in the USA, but today only 3% is. American Giant is changing that with their 100% US-based supply chain with relationships to factories, workers, and communities at every step. It's not the cheapest, but it makes for a better sweatshirt that's built to last. Plus, it's better for our people and planet because their clothes are not made to end up in a landfill. I got a dress and their classic zip hoodie. They're both super comfy and the material is top-notch. I've purchased clothes before that weren't made from the best manufacturers and the threads would just come out or I would get holes in them, but I can tell just from the weight of the fabric and the stitching that these pieces are crafted to last for a really long time. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code dreamjob at american-giant.com. That's 15% off when you use code dreamjob at american-giant.com. We're still spending a lot of time at home and sometimes it's a challenge to figure out how to keep my kids entertained without putting them in front of a screen. That's why I just love KiwiCo. With KiwiCo, your child can get super cool hands-on science and art projects delivered to their door every month. It's such a good way to encourage kids to become innovators and creative thinkers, and it also builds their confidence when they're able to build their own things. There's no commitments. You can pause or cancel at any time. My kids love the Kiwi crates. They got delivered to our house. My little daughter, Eliza, got the Fun with Flight crate, which came with a DIY kite and a rocket kit. We've had so much fun testing it outside, and it's become a real fun family activity for all of us. For me, it's just a relief that they can each get their own crate that tailors to their ages. so I don't have to worry about them fighting over the same crate or trying to do a project that might be too complicated. This is really designed to keep them learning and inspired. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get your first month free on select crates at KiwiCo.com slash That's kiwic dot slash dream job. I learned so much at Onsite. And uh, one thing I learned was that I was codependent. I never thought that before. Never. I used to think that uh, to be codependent meant you were really, really needy. And I'm like so independent to a fault. That's like one of my survival skills is like having a hard time with support. Let's put it that way. And at Onsite, you guys do this amazing thing where... There's all these different pieces of codependency. And then you ask people to sort of pick one and stand in a certain part of the room if you identify with one aspect of this. And I could have picked like five of them. And I realized codependency has a lot to do um, for me with being a pleaser. And so if I want people to be okay, you know, I'll set myself on fire to make sure that somebody else is not mad at me or is Mm -hmm. not dysregulated uh, that's clearly codependency. Like I'm dependent that you are okay. So I have to make decisions. And one of our most downloaded episodes uh is a woman named Sarah Knight. And uh she wrote this book called The Magical Art of Not Giving an F. And she's all about uh she says, be the no you want to see in the world, right? Like learn how to have boundaries, learn how to say no, learn how to come home to what you need. And we're so disassociated from that. And now that I've been through that program, I'm like, wow, there's so many of us walking around codependent and we don't take care of our own well-being. And therefore, what's going on in our marriages? What's going on in our societies? Like, right? Can you explain a little bit about that? Why that's such a central piece of the on-site process? And how do we break through being codependent in that way?
1: Well, ultimately, what it is, is just really anchoring into your worth. A lot of people can answer that question that you just asked honestly and say, I don't know that I'm enough. I think many of us have that narrative in our background or our backdrop. In order to anchor ourselves into enough, I don't believe we try to eliminate fear and eliminate pathology and eliminate stress. I just think we change our relationship with it. And we invite some of those things to have a seat at the table so that we can interact with them differently and therefore lower their energy. It's a way more realistic expectation than thinking we're Superman or woman and can just change everything. That's been the whole personal growth movement up to now. It was these real in-your-face seminars, which I respect. They've done great work. That was like, you have the power to change everything. And, and, and I don't know that that's as sustainable as you have the power to understand and embrace everything. And when you do, things begin to change organically. You don't even have to do it. God can do that. We can do that. So I believe anchoring people into their worth, which usually requires going back into your narrative, rewriting what doesn't belong, embracing the part of you that got imprinted too early. You call that inner child. We do too sometimes. And then just bringing that along for the journey. That alone, I think, starts to heal codependency.
0: Mm, it's so beautiful. And can you give the analogy that we talk about it a lot at Onsite, the two degrees Can you tell that analogy about the ship and how much that two degrees can change things?
1: Yeah, that's another, I would say, change strategy that, as I shared earlier, that seems way more obtainable than the one I used to go after. And so that kind of came from as I was in a messy relationship at the time. It was honestly probably easing into relationship addiction, which was humiliating the fact that I was a professional at that time and in the early days of leading an effort that helped people with that, and I found myself struggling with it. And I went, so I knew I needed to do some work on that to try to get that cleaned up. When I went into it, um, I thought, I've got to change everything I know about relationship. It's got to be 180 degrees. And and after that, I ended up specifically thinking, here's the thing I want to work on the most. And after that four-day period, I didn't even look at it. I didn't even touch relationship the relationship that was the one I thought I'd focus on. I ended up focusing on me and going way back into my story and figuring out where did I get these messages to begin with? So I came out of it thinking maybe I never needed 180 to begin with. All I needed was this subtle shift that over time would would kind of do like that. And then researched a little bit about what two degrees – Uh, means on the water for sailing. And and I thought that's really what we need to invite people into here at Onsite is not a 180 degree change, but a two degree change that over time would be not just sustainable, but it will end you up at a way different point in which you started in a much more graceful way. So that's kind of what we invite people into.
0: Yeah. And I just remember Bill standing there and saying, imagine if you are on a ship and you're going and then, you know, they just reroute two degrees not 17 not 49 two degrees he said if you go 50 miles 100 miles a thousand miles out you wind up in a different continent and i i cried so hard leaving there that day i told you and i was like i have so much i want to change and it's been so awesome you know one of the things that we talk about on the show a lot is how things get messier before they get clean sometimes like the first couple days at onsite people get really they're starting to get upset on my third day, I walked up to Bill. I was like, I think I need to switch groups and I think you need to get me an individual therapist because I'm not going to get seen. It's not going to work. And he was like, I just invite you to lean in. Just, just lean in. I promise. I promise. If you keep feeling this way, you come back and talk to me. And I went back in and, um, oh my God, I just realized, you know, a therapist said to me years ago, if you have third degree burns, what's the kindest thing someone can do? Hold you tight? Or stand six feet away. Stand six feet away, right? And when you carry so much shame around feeling worthy of love, and when you haven't really ever sat long enough to let someone see you, it doesn't feel good. What do you think makes us feel unworthy of love? And how do we begin to have the courage to let ourselves be loved?
1: So I'm a... A fairly new father. My son is two and a half, and my daughter is 10 months. And when my son started to wake up more and realize there was a him and there was an, a me, and he needed to prove that theory right, which is the only way I know if there's a me and there's a you is if I have the autonomy. To make sure I'm not you. And that comes out before a brain is fully developed into what we call the terrible twos or terrible threes. And even knowing that normal phase of development, uh, it was so stressful as a parent. I was like, what am I doing wrong? What is going on? My kid is a little hellion. How do I? <laughs> and I was talking to a friend of mine who she's a really incredible therapist, but her husband's a pediatrician. And I called them and I was like, he's screaming. He started doing that as a, I don't know what he was actually doing, but he would just scream where we were. He would just scream top of his lungs. I was like, what are we doing wrong? Well, when I was talking to my friend, she did to talk to my husband. And he said that actually when I hear a family come in and say, my kid is so laid back, like there's no problems at all. They're like the calmest, best kid in the world at the age of one and a half to three. That is a sign that he wants to bring him in to check them for developmental delay. And I was like, whoa. So he really normalized that it's abnormal not to over identify with a sense of self. But the problem is, is we get so uncomfortable because most parents, we don't have a sense of self and our sense of self ends up transferring over to these little kids and we end up trying to uh, mesh or bring them in or make them okay so that we can be okay. And therefore, a sense of self never really gets identified. And I think that's the original setup for us not loving ourselves later.
0: That's so true. By the way, my husband says, so my three-year-old, when she wants something, she starts yelling and then she says, mommy, and then she calls my name, Kathy Heller. She's screaming and my husband's like, your boss is calling. So I totally get it. And it's so beautiful. My middle daughter, Eliza, she's so good. Okay. And so everyone tells her she's so good. So every like third time someone says it, I say, you don't have to be so good. Don't be so good all the time. Be yourself. You feel crabby? Be Crabby because I don't want her to identify as like, I'm getting praised for being good because everyone's like, she's so even Steven. I'm like, mm-hmm. and she needs to not be right. Like that's not, I don't want her to identify as like mommy and daddy think I'm so good. I'm like, yeah, don't be so good. It's kind of annoying. Like have an opinion about something. I see so many people who have that where they don't have a self. They wanted to be uh, loved, right? They had to earn love. And for a lot of people, love was given and taken away. So if you were good, if you got good grades, if you took care of mommy, daddy's pain, whatever it was, and it's hard to overcome that. So now for everybody who's listening, what do we do? What's like the first step we can take? When uh, those roles are so conditioned and the wiring is so conditioned and we want to learn how to come home to ourself and arrive at our own door. Like what's one little thing we could do maybe even today?
1: I like to encourage people to to say the unsaid and to speak their sub- subconscious. So somebody asked me one time, you know, how do you describe what you do at onsite? And I'm not the best at that, honestly. But I'd simply said, you know, what we really do if you strip it back is we help people say the unsaid. Sometimes that's going back into your story. Sometimes it's current. Sometimes it's stating what you need. Sometimes it's going forward and putting your intention out there. But I think we have this subconscious narrative that we protect, whether it's old secrets and pain, whether it's new wishes and who we want to become and how we feel we belong or don't, whether it's insecurities from the future. We all have this subconscious narrative that we protect. And I believe when we speak it, we get to change it. And we just don't speak it enough. Mm. So find somebody, whether it's one, doesn't have to, because many of you don't, might not have the resources for therapy. I love this answer. On site, you don't necessarily have to. Uh, You can find someone in your community that can listen instead of advise, that can empathize instead of fix, and that can hold you. And if if you can't, you can teach somebody to do that uh, that's close to you. Find one other person and do what I believe is one of the hardest but maybe the most important things we'll ever do, which is just say the unsaid.
0: And that leads me to your podcast, which is called Unspoken. It's like, there it is. There it is. What do you want people to walk away with when they listen to Unspoken? What drives you to do it? You're already doing so many things and then you added that. So obviously it's intentional. There's something else you really want to be born in that podcast. And you've had so many cool people on, including Morgan Harper Nichols and so many other people that we've just mentioned. But what's that about for
1: you? Well, I I love people. So the idea of having conversations, and people encouraged us before, what do you think about a podcast? And I thought, well, every time we come up with the idea of doing a podcast, it seems so predictable. It's like, of course, on-site we do a podcast about what we know, go dependency, trauma, mental health. And there are a few good ones out there that come from the counseling space, and it's very predictable, the audience that will listen to them. It's like people interested in counseling or personal growth. And I thought, I'd rather reach other people. So how do we humanize the idea of personal growth and transformation and make it a conversation that anybody could find digestible instead of making it a clinical strategy? And so that was where the idea of unspoken came from. And I was going to do it solo. And then I thought, you know, I want another friend or human being who's gone through some adverse circumstance and had the courage to, to heal from it. And so that invited my friend Ruthie to come on board. And we've had so much fun in creating these two seasons. And now a lot of people have been asking, what are you doing next? And we're trying to decide because it's been so hard in this season to schedule. So we're we're going to do something, but we're just trying to decide what the new version of Unspoken will look like that feels honestly more sustainable to our life. Uh, one thing I learned in the Unspoken process is just having rich conversations the benefit was I got to utilize my training and tools, so I didn't shy away from that, uh, but I didn't over-bake it, if you will. Yeah. I didn't make it a therapy session. I tried yeah. to make it like, what would this look like if it was in someone's living room? Yeah. But I did find out that most, a lot of our questions were from people who wanted to hear more about counseling and therapy, and that's new. I think the paradigm's shifting, whereas yeah, five, right. six years ago, 10 years ago, people didn't want that. Now they want it.
0: That's so cool. And we'll link to that and I'll follow up my audience so that they can hear that. Um, Thank you. One of the biggest things that I see, there's so many podcasts where people are like, here's how you can be successful. These are the steps to crush it. These are your goals. Da, 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 da. Most people, if you ask them, like, what's the reason, you know, they're not getting to where they want to be. If you step back, you see like no action taking. They're not executing, right? There's no execution. There's no momentum. They have beautiful gifts, beautiful ideas, but they're not executing. And it comes back to, They don't want to be in pain, right? They don't want to fail. They don't want to be messy. They don't want to get rejected. So, you know, like Bob was saying, just have 20 seconds of courage. Be available. You're not the Messiah. No, of course you're not perfect. Yeah, you're not. Of course. Yeah, you're an imposter. Who cares? Be available. You're a messy person who doesn't matter. Just be available. But people don't get that. What do you say? What comes up in your heart when someone's saying to you, I don't want to do it. I'm going to get rejected. I'm scared. It's going to be a mess and I don't want to do it. So I'm going to wait till I'm quote unquote ready. That is like where everything we come up against that upper limit right there. So what do you think about that?
1: I think it's different based on people's experience and how they're wired and what their go-to strategy is around that. Because I think some people can hotwire that process and move through it too quickly and avoid the the reflection that is necessary to decide, is it a good decision for me or should I do this? Because I've supported a lot of people who wanted to start retreat centers, and I've talked some people out of it when we got to the true vision of why, what they were chasing I didn't want them to make some of the mistakes I made. I got lucky because I was chasing it in the early days for the wrong reason. And I got lucky enough to do my own work throughout and realized I still want to chase it, but I don't want to do it to fill this hole in me. And once I got that hole somewhat filled, I was like, do I still love it. And I was like, I do. And I was like, yay, <laughs> because I see a lot of people that get into it, trying to fix their own stuff and then wake up one day. So I was trying to save some people some time. But I, for me, for example, and I'll share what it sounds like Bob may have shared a little bit is I can be over analytical. I can think too much, which can keep me paralyzed, which I think you're seeing a lot of people can probably relate to that. Don't bypass the analytics. Don't bypass the ability to process. But then when you feel like you've done that, you do need to, I think, take a step and practice making it the wrong step. It sounds counterintuitive, but I'm, a recovering perfectionist too. So the wrong step, I would avoid a hundred times more than I might take the right step. So I, you spend so much time avoiding the wrong step, you'll never even take a right one. So I, I think wrong steps are just strength conditioning for future risk, mm-hmm. emotional risk. And so I, I try to take some wrong ones sometimes and process it. The 20 seconds of courage was good for me. Did he tell you where that came from?
0: Yeah, he said it. You have it on your ring he told me. Is that true? I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I yeah. Like that. It came from just a little movie that I had seen somewhere and that was perfect for me. Uh, it was We Bought a Zoo, which is should get the credit. It was Matt Damon and Scarlett Johansson. Have you seen that movie?
0: Yeah, I cried my eyes out.
1: That's so a great little movie, but yeah, that was a background part. It was a it, but it was a through line. So, yeah, I think so take cool. the wrong step and sometimes to an ability to turn off your overthinking is just to go for it. I do take a lot of risk, particularly in my professional life, in my personal life too, but I never do those alone. I share I mitigate my risk by sharing them. And today we had a management team this morning with some of my leadership team. And the theme came up of like 2020, what do we feel like we want to work on? Well, we've been busy. You know, our effort has has grown and we're thankful for that. That's what we've worked hard for, but we are identifying that we're starting to lose some of the fun of it that we used to have when we were smaller and didn't have as much pressure. We just had so much fun. <laughs> and we were like, how do we bring the fun back into it? I love and that
0: question, it's great. We
1: realized with the three of us that were in this meeting, it was like, well, if we're not having fun, they're not going to have fun. And so how do the three of us talk more about this initiative and hold one another accountable? And I initially, I thought I've got to figure out a clever and creative way as a CEO to go implement this in the organization. And I thought, oh, heck no, I got to figure out a humble and generous way to empower the leaders around me to say, Mm -hmm. let's do this together. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what helps people mitigate risk is uh, have a shared risk.
0: Yep. One thing I was just thinking is so powerful is that it has grown and it is growing. And I only heard about onsite through a friend. Right? Like there's no like Facebook ads running. Like it's or maybe there are, I just don't see them. Um, but it's one of those things where Seth Godin has been here a couple of times, and if you ask him like what marketing is, he'll say radical empathy. Come on. It's so good. Because on the other end of your Facebook post or your email funnel is a human. And I've never seen an organization where every person miles, every person at onsite, and it was full. Someone told them, you just have to go, just go. And they're not making money off it. You guys, I'm not, I'm I'm, (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. So what do you think about that? Because you're building something that's so talk about engagement, talk about human connection, forget marketing, like everything that you've said, every answer, it goes back to like, the most genuine, delicate, earnest thing, so when people are listening right now and they're thinking, How do I make something that's successful? What do you think about that human connection piece i mean the the bottom line is you're doing it right there's something happening on those retreats, there's something happening every time you talk, every time mm-hmm. you post something. What do you think's at the core of that what are i mean it's probably an intention it's probably something that you Feel and it's it's coming through. So, what would you guess that is that's working?
1: And I, I don't want to make it sound like we haven't done some traditional things uh, along the way that are a bit more strategic, and we we've, we've grinded it out uh, to try to build an organic following and some brand equity. But it has been we have taken a lot of non traditional steps, and I think it depends on what you want to do. I think if you're wanting to build a business that has a significant purpose or a social impact tail to where and I want to be successful. Um, I don't want to shy away from trying to build a successful business, but I also want it to do really well. I want to have this really good balance between mission and margin. I think if you're doing that, I think that's where you have to make some non-traditional moves or some counter-cultural moves. And, so it's been hard because I've had super smart people say to me before, you're not clear, you're not doing this, you're not taking the right aggressive uh, moves towards this. And I knew they were right with what they knew. Okay. But I had we had to go back and trust our gut and say, well, what are we doing that feels right to us? Even if it means that we won't grow as fast as the next person. And we won't, we haven't. Our growth trajectory has been slow. But I think that's been on purpose because we just hyper-focus on the integrity of the offering don't do it perfect, uh, but we don't want to lose that. And we feel like if we brick-and-mortar scaled every opportunity and had places all over, then something might shift with the soul of what we're trying to do. And our goal is not to take the whole world through the process. It's to take the people through the process who we know will go do good in the world with it. So that's, that's a long way to say um, non-traditional moves and trust your gut.
0: So good. And I was amazed because I went in December – and it was full. And I said to one of the staff members, how many of these do you do? And she's like, oh, every, <laughs> this one, this one, like all nonstop. I go, and it's always full. It's always full. I'm like, okay, wow. Like it's, it's really, really impressive. And people are coming from all over the world. It's just amazing. One last question for you is that, and it's so sad, Miles. It makes me feel so sad, but I feel like people don't feel worthy of being happy. You know, it's like, who am I to have joy? Who am I to, when Martha Beck was here, she, she went to Harvard and she studied sociology. She said, Kathy, I couldn't believe how many people in free societies, free societies chose to do things they didn't like most of the time. What is that? And Brene Brown, you know, she was talking about how, as soon as we feel joy, four seconds later, we feel fear. Something's going to take it away or I feel shame. I just wish people knew like your joy is the greatest gift you give to the world. You know, Mm. what do you think about that? Are we allowed to be happy? Is it selfish if we do things we love and uh, how do we get over that feeling of shame that we can have 10 minutes a day where we dance in our kitchen or take time for ourselves. I think that that's a real big problem.
1: I don't know that I'm the best suited to talk about that because I think I'm in process with it, if I'm completely honest. I do know I've done a mountain of shame work and will continue to do that. And I do think my shame ceiling is much higher than it used to be. But in terms of that pivot where I really embrace the freedom of joy, I don't do that as well as I would like to. I'm really a work in progress when it comes to that. I can tend to be joy foreboding, which is Brene's words too. But i tell you what, one thing is changing it for me is my kids. Yeah. Uh, they'll they'll do that. And I, I feel like I am leaning more into this silly, joyful part of me, but I don't show it to a lot of people. But once I've known somebody for a while, I've got a pretty good runway, they get to see the silly, playful side of me. And I like it. It's so fun. I want it to come out more, but it's I don't so do that as much as I'd like. So that would be my honest answer is that I'm working on it.
0: One of the coolest things, uh, I mean, there's, I could literally say 1600 things, but right after everyone cries at onsite on the last day and shares what they're taking with them, you guys like turn up the black eyed peas and everybody dances and it's like, (laughs) and everyone lets themselves feel good. And that feels to me like the, one of the most powerful moments of the whole thing is that people let themselves feel good. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can just have more of whatever this
1: is. Thank you. So you can follow along on site at Onsite Workshops is our handle for socials, Instagram, Twitter, and, and the others. And then mine is just at Miles at Cox. And I think for a long time I felt like my role was more beneficial to the effort if I was backstage. And now, in the last two three years, I've been stepping out more. And I don't think until this year I stepped out more took the risk. It was very uncomfortable. And now I'm starting to own it. So now I'm going to do something I don't ever do, which is say, follow on site. I love it. Follow me too.
0: Let me just tell you something. God doesn't give a person the depth and the wisdom and the face that you have. If he doesn't want you to, that's not even yours miles. He just made you Mm. be the kindest, most handsome. That's usually not a combo. (laughs) Okay. Okay. He gave it to you and he's saying like, it's all for a reason. You know what I'm saying? Like you are morally obligated to be out there as big as you can be. Everyone loves you. Keep doing you. We will continue to support you. I will continue to support you. Thank you for taking all this time today.
1: Wow. I needed that. Thank you for buttoning it up with that. I'll take that one with me. I appreciate you a lot. This was fun.
0: Thanks for letting me give that to you. See, you did Mm. that too. Um, (laughs) Have an amazing weekend and an amazing day.
1: Same to you, my friend. I hope to see you again soon. I love talking
0: to Miles. If I could wave a magic wand, I would send all of you to OnSite, but I know OnSite might not be affordable for everyone. Luckily, OnSite created a new digital course called Rediscovering You, and it's available to purchase until this Sunday, October 11th. It's a six-week online roadmap to help you break the cycles that keep you stuck and move forward with a renewed sense of clarity, freedom, and direction. By exploring your past, present, and future, this course will equip you to truly connect with yourself and help you build toward the life you've always desired and they're just so generous they've made a special coupon just for you guys if you go to the link in our show notes and use the code don't quit all one word no apostrophe you're going to save $200 off the course how awesome is that thank you miles and a huge thank you to the whole on-site team you guys are truly extraordinary okay now here are the takeaways number one talk and listen. Number two, we shouldn't try to eliminate our fears. We should change our relationship with it. Invite it to have a seat at the table and learn to interact with them differently. You have the power to understand and embrace everything. Number three, you don't need a 180 degree change. It just takes a subtle two degree change over time. It's more sustainable and you will end up in such a different point in a much more graceful way. Number four, say the unsaid. We have a subconscious narrative we're trying to protect. When we speak it, we get to change it. Number five, don't bypass the analytics and the ability to process. But once you do that, you need to take a step and practice making it the wrong step. Wrong steps are the strength conditioning for future risk. And number six, make some non-traditional moves and trust your gut. Okay, Now let's celebrate your wins. Kat wrote in our Facebook group and she said, I posted a welcome video on my new Facebook group. I also reached out to five Instagram accounts with lots of followers and offered to write a custom haiku for one of their photos. The yes was easy to get. Cat, that's amazing. It can be so intimidating to put yourself out there, but you mustered those twenty seconds of insane courage, and you're already opening those windows of opportunity for yourself. You should be so freaking proud of what you're doing. And everyone can go join Cat's Facebook group. It's called Haiku Together, and go check out her new welcome video. All right, here's the next win. Christine said. After being closed for 200 days, I reopened my tour company yesterday. Food tours look different with all the PPE and precautions, but it's still pure magic. I feel like my world is back on its axis after feeling way off kilter for months. That's so amazing, Christine. It must feel so life-giving to serve your community again and get back in the flow of what you're made to do. I know you're going to be able to adjust and adapt, and you're going to figure out how to make this work in such a crazy upside down time. If you guys want to check out Christine's tour company, you can follow her Facebook page at A Little Local Flavor. Thank you guys so much for being here. It means the world to me. I'm so excited for the guests that we have coming on this month, including Matthew McConaughey. Ah, so make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you don't miss out. Remember, if you want to win a chance to get a hot seat with me, you can be on the Kathy Coaching call Show. Just go ahead, subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review. And then you can just go post about the podcast in your Instagram and tag me and you'll fill out an application. It's at kathyhow.com slash call-in. The last thing I want to ask you is the following. Did this episode inspire you? Did it give you a nugget of wisdom that you can take with you? If the answer is yes, can you think of one person who needs it? Post about the show on your Instagram, tag someone who might be benefiting from hearing these episodes and tag me so I can thank you and I'll repost it. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Monday.